One of the things that I truly wish didn't exist are social groups, social structures that categorize people and say, you're this kind of a person and you're that kind of a person, and boundaries that get drawn up between different groups of people. And our culture and our society isn't unique in that. I suppose that any culture around the world today and has been in the past, there exist these kinds of social boundaries. In fact, I love to talk to people about their different cultures around the world. I have a sister who spent a lot of time in Europe, in France, and in Scotland, and I like to talk to her about the social boundaries that exist in that part of the world. I have a sister right now who lives in South Africa who is married to a man from Zimbabwe, and they live in South Africa, and I like to talk to them about the social boundaries that exist in their culture. But it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Because when you reach across a social boundary and you try to build relationships with somebody that is in a different social group, maybe it's because of nationality or language that you speak, or maybe it's because of race, or maybe it's because of socioeconomics, there's oftentimes ramifications for reaching across those types of boundaries. And the gospel compels us to reach across social boundaries. Amen? The gospel compels us to reach across social boundaries and build relationships with people. But in any culture, in any society, when Christians begin to reach across those boundaries, when God's people begin to reach across those boundaries and build relationships, there have been and continue to be ramifications, social consequences for reaching across those boundaries. I I always hesitate to know whether or not I should share real-life examples because it gets rather uncomfortable when we talk about how this works itself out in society, doesn't it? I don't like to have these conversations, but church, if we're going to understand the gospel, if we're going to understand what Paul was really saying, if we're going to understand what Jesus really does, we've got to talk about this. Just yesterday, somebody sent me an email about his uncle in Mississippi in the 1970s. And he said that his uncle was preaching the gospel for a little congregation there. And he began to teach the gospel to some African-American folks in the community and baptize them into Christ. And they became a part of the congregation. And someone burned a cross on the preacher's lawn. And he was fired from his job. Reaching across social boundaries takes Courage. When I think about that, I think about a young man that I had in my youth group in Midland, Texas, not too far from here, not too long ago, when I was a young youth minister, and he, he came to church without his family. His family wasn't a part of our congregation, but one family from our congregation would go and pick him up, and I would go and pick him up, and we were at his house probably two, three, four, five times a week sometimes. And we got to know his, his neighbors and his cousins and his brothers, and he confided in me one time that some of his family and friends didn't like him hanging out with all these white people. It took a lot of courage for him to say, that's my family. That church group there, those people you're talking about, that's my family. And for him to reach across that social boundary. But again, church, this is something that existed in the time of Jesus. In the time of Christ, there were social boundaries. You remember the story about Jesus and the Samaritan woman? That's a story about social boundaries, men and women and 
Jews and Samaritans, and Jesus knew. And John, as he recorded that gospel account, and he said, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They knew that a social boundary existed. In fact, the woman said, why are you, a man, a Jewish man, talking to me, a Samaritan woman? That boundary existed, and Jesus reached over it and began to build a relationship. Boundaries existed in socioeconomic ways as well, didn't they? In fact, in class this morning, we talked about the rich man and the, and Lazarus who laid at his, his gate. Someone saw themselves as a different kind of person in a different group. Those boundaries existed because people categorized themselves in different ways and the rich man wouldn't bring himself to help the poor man, Lazarus, at his gate. But the, the boundary, the social boundary that, that is most talked about in the New Testament, in fact, is the major theme of many of the books of the New Testament, is about Jews and Gentiles, especially the book of Romans. I mean, that, that's what this book is all about, how the gospel is for both the Jew and the Greek. In fact, you need to know a little bit of the background of what was going on in Rome at the time. In the city of Rome, Claudius, the emperor, had kicked out the Jews, had banished all the Jews from Rome. But by the time Paul writes this book of Romans, there's a new emperor, Nero, who would turn out to be worse than Claudius. And Nero now is the emperor, and the Jews apparently have come back home. But can you imagine what it would be like? Do you suppose that in a city like Rome, where Jews had been exiled and banished away and now had come back. Do you suppose there existed some anti-Jewish sentiment in the community? Now imagine, imagine what would happen, church. Imagine what would happen when you have somebody that's a, a young Roman follower of Jesus, a young Roman Christian. We'll, we'll call him Maximus, okay? That's a good Roman name. So we got Maximus, this young Roman follower of Jesus, and he has a friend who's also a follower of Jesus, a, a Jew. We'll call him Levi, good Jewish name, right? So, so you've got Maximus and Levi, and they're, they're walking together down the street of Rome. And, and you can tell which one is a Roman, and you can tell which one is a Jew by their hair, by their beard, by their clothes, by the food they eat and the food they don't eat. And here, Maximus and Levi walking together. Can you imagine what Maximus's friends and family would say to him? What are you doing? What are you doing, man? Why are you hanging out with that Jew? And can you imagine how Levi's family and friends would talk to him about his relationship and friendship with Maximus? Can you imagine how maybe he had an uncle that wasn't a follower of Jesus? And he pulled Levi aside. He said, Levi, what are you doing hanging out with this Gentile? What are you doing spending time with this guy? Don't you know what kind of people Gentiles are? And they have a choice to make, don't they? Both of them. On both sides, they have a choice to make. They can deny it and they can say, well, I don't really know him. I was just kind of walking along. He was there. We're just kind of talking. I don't really have anything to do with him. Or they can say, he's my brother. He's my brother. We're a part of the same family. I know you don't understand it and I know you don't get it and I know you don't like it, but think what you will. Say what you will. He is my brother. And that's the kind of thing that the gospel is all about. That's the kind of thing that the gospel does. That's what it compels us to do. 
is to build those types of relationships. And that, that's what the book of Romans is all about. So if you have your Bible, Romans chapter 15. So Paul's been writing to these Christians and, and helping them to understand that everybody, Gentile, Roman, Greek, whatever it may be, and Jew, all part of the same family, all part of God's family, that nobody, nobody is excluded based on where they've been or who they've been or where they've been or where they came from. Nobody is excluded. The only people excluded from God's family are those who will not bow their knee to Jesus the King. But anyone and everyone who will bow their knee to Jesus the King, everyone who will confess Christ, everyone who will be baptized into Jesus can be delivered out of the old kingdom and into this new kingdom, into this new family. And so he begins in chapter 12 to say, because that's true, because you're justified by faith in Jesus, here's how you live out that faith. Here's how you live in unity and harmony and love. And in chapter 14, he gets into the fact that it's going to be hard, isn't it? It's hard to get across some of those gaps that exist between people, isn't it? I mean, two individuals from the same background, it's hard enough to get along, isn't it? It's hard enough to get on the same page about things. But especially if you come from different backgrounds. And Paul is saying, listen, I know, Maximus, Levi, I know you, you think differently about stuff. You have different clothes that you wear and you, you celebrate different days of the, of the year and you, you eat different kinds of foods and you kind of reason differently and you process things differently and you have a different perspective on things. But here's what you need to do. Welcome each other. Amen? Here's what you do. You welcome each other because if you're in Christ and he's in Christ, you are family. You're part of the covenant family of God. And so here's what you do. Even when you disagree with each other, even if you think he's wrong and you're right, welcome each other. And don't argue over your opinions. It's going to be hard because, I mean, it's easy to just give up on relationships, isn't it? Any relationships, because relationships get tough, especially when you're reaching across cultural and social barriers. It gets hard. And it would be easy to just walk away and say, well, you kind of do your Christian thing over there and I'll do my Christian thing over here. But Paul wants them to know that what is at stake here is the glory of God. Because God is glorified when his people come together in unity and they welcome each other and they love each other and they accept each other. So let's look at Romans chapter 15 and verse Number one, Romans 15, verse one. We who are strong, whoever that may be, whoever's right, whoever's strong, whoever's got it figured out, here's your obligation. And we've talked about this before. Here's your obligation to bear with. And that's hard, isn't it? But, but here's your obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Bear with them. In the South, we say, bless their heart, right? Bless their heart. Just Bless their heart. Just bear with them. Put up with them. Tolerate them. Hang on to them. Don't let them go. We who are strong have an obligation to do that. To bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Because that's what, that's the easy thing to do, isn't it? That's the natural thing to do. That's what we all tend to do. That's the, human thing to do. 
is to just do what's easier for us and say, this would be a whole lot less complicated for me. This would be a whole lot easier for me if you just kind of go your way and I go my way. Can you imagine the kind of things that they would have said to one another? If you were a Roman Christian and you got all these Jewish Christians that are making life hard on you and you say, guys, listen, if you just kind of get with the program, I mean, you don't have to wear those clothes anymore. You're not under the law and you don't have to eat that food anymore. You don't have to wear your hair like that. In other words, if you just stop being so Jewish, maybe things wouldn't be so hard on us. And then on the other side of the coin, the Jewish Christians might look at the Roman Christians and say, guys, listen, now you're part of Abraham's family. If you just start celebrating the days we celebrate and eating the food we eat and dressing like us, if you'd start being more Jewish, then maybe we'd get along a whole lot better. You'd make life a whole lot easier on us if you just do things our way. But Paul says that's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we don't do what makes it easier on us. We do what makes it easier on others. We don't live to please ourselves, but to please our neighbor. Look at verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Isn't that what Philippians chapter 2 says? This is the mind of Christ, is to consider the needs and the interests of others above your own interests. And it does get challenging, doesn't it? When we build relationships and when we live in the church in community, it's hard because you got to put up with people like them. I know you're easy to put up with. It's everybody else, right? It's hard sometimes. But this is what it is to live out the gospel, is to live with unity and love and live in community and live to please not yourself, but to please your neighbor for his good and to build him up. And then Paul does what Paul always does, and he reminds us of the sacrifices that Jesus made. Because you say, well, that's hard, Paul. It's hard to bear with them. Don't you know who they are and what they've done? Don't you know how they think? And don't you know I'm right and they're wrong? And Paul says, I know it's hard, but listen, remember what Christ did. Christ didn't please himself, but as it's written, listen to this, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Reproached you. Who's the you? Here's what we need to do. Anytime Paul or one of the other apostles quotes from an Old Testament passage, what do you think we should do? Look it up, right? Look it up. Let's do, let's look that up. Okay. So Psalm 69, that's where he's quoting from. And I wish we had time to read the whole Psalm, but we don't. Psalm 69 and verse seven. Okay. Now the psalmist is talking to God. This is a prayer, a song, a psalm to God. And he says, for it is for your sake, the psalmist says, for it is for your sake that I've borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I've become, listen to this, I've become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. And it's for your sake, because I'm doing what you would have me to do, God, because I'm loving you and I'm serving you, I've become a reproach. My face has been covered in shame. My my brothers, the the sons of my mother, look at me like an alien. Not like from outer space, just from another country, right? I've become an alien to my mother's sons. I've become a stranger to my brothers. They reject me. They don't like me. Why? Because I'm doing your will, God. Because I'm serving you and loving you and I'm devoted to you. Now people don't like me very much. 
and they reproach me. Now listen to verse 9. For zeal for your house has consumed me. Do you remember when that was applied to Jesus? When he drove out the tax collectors out of the temple? For zeal for your house, it's consumed me. I'm consumed with passion for doing your will. I'm consumed with zeal for your glory and your honor and your temple. And because of that, the reproaches of those who reproach you, that is, reproach God, have fallen on me. And isn't that true of Jesus? Isn't that what he said all along? You, you reject me and you don't like me and you don't accept me because you don't really love God. You think you love God. You, you make a show of loving God. You honor God with your lips, but your heart is far from him. And so when you reproach me, it's really because you reproach God. And the psalmist, like Jesus, is saying to God, it's for your sake that I bear with these reproaches. It's for your sake I tolerate being treated poorly by my brothers, by my neighbors, by my friends, because I love you so much. And I'm so devoted to you, and I'm so zealous for your will. I'm so zealous for your house. I'm so zealous to do what pleases you. He says, verse 10, when I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became a reproach. It became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate and drunkards make songs about me. Isn't that true of Jesus? And the psalmist says it's true of him. He says, because I want to do what pleases you, because I'm devoted to your glory and your honor and your name, they hate me. They make fun of me. The drunkards make up drinking songs about me. But I'm willing to deal with it. I'm willing to bear it. I'm willing to have it fall on me. Why? Why? He says, verse 13, As for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love. Answer me in your saving faithfulness. Church, that is the epitome of hope, right? That's what our series this month is all about, is that we are confident and we know as God's people, we're victorious. And we have hope in that. Not that we can see it with our eyes or taste it with our mouth or touch it with our fingers because we hope for what we do not see. But we know, just as the psalmist knew, just as Jesus knows, just as he knew as he went to the cross, as he bore the reproaches of those who reproached God, as those reproaches fell on him, he knew God would save him. He knew God would deliver him. He knew God would raise him from the dead. That's the hope of the psalmist. The psalmist says, listen, I'm willing to bear with this. I'm willing to be treated poorly because I'm doing what's right. Because I'm passionate about your glory and your honor and your name and your house. And people hate me for it. But I trust you. I know, God, I know that at the acceptable time, in the abundance of your steadfast love, you will answer me in your saving faithfulness. That's hope, church. That's what God's people are supposed to be all about. Now, listen to what Paul says in in chapter 15 and verse 4. Let's go back and let's kind of think about how he's using that passage to teach God's people. 
verse 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Well, how does Psalm 69 instruct us? If you were to read through Psalm 69, what's it instructing us to do? Be passionate about the glory of God, right? Be devoted to doing God's will. Have a zeal that consumes you for the house of God, the house of God. How can zeal for his house consume us? What do we mean by the house of God? What is the temple of God today? It's not a building with stones and mortar. Look around. You are the temple of God. You are living stones built, making up his house. And not just the people in this room, but across this city and across the state and across the country and across the world. This morning, as people of God are gathered to praise and glorify him, we are the temple of God. Diverse and different and wonderful from different nations and all different kinds of standing socioeconomically and racially and from every background. We are God's house and the zeal for his house, for his temple, for his people ought to consume us. Isn't that what the psalm instructs us to do? Even when we're reproached for it, even when people hate us for it, even when people say, why do you hang out with those people? Why do you, why do you go there? Why do you love those people? Why are you hanging out with that person? Why do you do that with them? They're not a part of your group. You say, they are a part of my group. They're my family. They're my brother. They're my sister. And I love them. And we're part of the same family. That's zeal for the house of God. And even if reproach falls on you, you're, you're being like Jesus. And you're saying the, the reproaches of those who reproach you fall on me. And I'm willing to put up with it. And I'm willing to tolerate it. And I'm willing to go through the, the hard times. Why? Because of hope. Right? Because I know that at an acceptable time, oh God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, you'll answer me in your saving faithfulness. And so Paul says, all of this was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope, right? As we read the scriptures, we know that God is a God of steadfast love and that it's worth it. Church, he was telling the church in Rome, I know it's hard. Roman Christians and Jewish Christians, Christians with different backgrounds, Christians of all different, all different kinds of differences. All different diversity. I know it's hard sometimes. I know it's hard, but it'll be worth it. Draw your encouragement, draw your hope from the scriptures and know that those who live and are devoted to and are zealous to glorify God, he will not let you down. Amen? He will not let you down. He will not fail you. If you are devoted to the household of God, you cannot lose. You are already victorious and will always be. That is our hope. That is our confidence. And so Paul says this prayer for them. Look at verse 5. May the God of endurance, endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together, that's the key, isn't it? Together, that together you may with one voice 
glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is his prayer, that the God of endurance and encouragement grant us this unity and this togetherness that with one voice, with one voice, a nation that is international, a race that is multiracial, a family that comes from all different kinds of families might come together all over the world and that with one voice, we might bring glory to our God. Verse 7. Therefore, therefore, based on all of this, here's the application, he says. Therefore, here's what you should do. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Be zealous for God's glory because your unity, our unity, despite whatever arbitrary social boundaries the world has set up, and the world can set up all kinds of arbitrary, strange social boundaries, can't they? And they say, well, people like this and people like that, and millennials and Generation X and boomers. And, you know, I mean, they can come up with all kinds of different boundaries in different groups. <laughs> but we reach across it. Jesus tears down those walls. And we come together and with one voice, we bring glory to our God. God is glorified in our love. God is glorified in our unity. God is glorified in our welcoming. I was in Boston yesterday and I saw a banner on a church building that said, we welcome immigrants and refugees. And I thought, you know what? Welcoming. Welcoming. If we really believed, if we really believed the gospel, if we really believe what Jesus is doing, if we really have hope that in spite of how challenging it can be to get along, we'd be the most welcoming place on earth. Not just here, but God's church throughout the world. We would be the most welcoming people on earth because we have hope. Because we have hope. We love our hope. Here's where I want us to land. Here's my summary of what Paul is saying. Our hope is founded on Scripture, right? Our hope is founded on Scripture. We have hope because we know that God is a keeper of promises. We know that we won't be let down. We know that if we are consumed by a zeal for the house of God, we will not be disappointed. And so our hope is founded on Scripture. And our love is founded on hope. We love because we hope. And we hope because of the promises of God. Somebody said in first service, and I agree with them. He said, well, Wes, you're, you're preaching to the choir. He said, you're, you're preaching to people that are already doing that. I'm not preaching this necessarily because we especially need it. I'm preaching it because it's the gospel, right? It's the gospel. This is what the gospel does. It gives us hope. And because we hope, we love. And we want to invite you into that if you're not participating in that. If you haven't been baptized into Jesus, no matter where you've come from or what you've done or background or boundaries or whatever, if you put Jesus on, if you become a follower of Jesus, then you're our family. And we want to show you how very much we love you. So if you haven't been baptized into Jesus, what are you waiting for? If you have and you need to come back home or you just need prayers, if you need encouragement, take us up on our offer. 
to let us love you and let us show you that you're part of our family and that in our unity and in our love and in our welcoming, God is glorified. And that's our passion because we are committed to his glory. So if we can help you, there's a room in the back after services, our shepherds, and always say it every week, take them up on it. Go, let them pray with you. Or right now as we stand and sing, come forward and join us.